This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Matt Bach. And this is the Sportacast. Wow, something sounds different today. You were very docilely, docile tone there, Matt Bach, filling in for Eben Novi Williams. Normally, people know he like runs hundreds of miles, but uh, he's a man uh, at one with nature for a few days, right? Yes, he has run off, in fact, on another vision quest up into the boundary waters or somewhere else to find. And and Eben Novi Williams' less Sportacast doesn't roll off the tongue, so I am Matt Bach, the managing editor at Sportico, and I am happy to be back and filling in once again. I think you can do more more than adequate job. I mean, this could be a Wally Pip situation where he takes himself out of the lineup, uh, and then we know uh, what what happens from there. You know, he he does not play for many many years. Well, I've got plenty on my plate and hands full, and I think that Evan's been doing a great job along with everyone else on the staff. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes, Scott. What's been happening in your neck of the woods? Well, you know, I, I do what I do, busy as always, but you and I were both busy at the end of last week when news struck that tops. And when I hear tops, for me, now I've never been an, an avid collector, but it is a, an emotional sort of a Pavlovian response. I think of the gum when I unwrap the packs of baseball cards. I did not. Water. What's that? That'll make your mouth water. That yeah. Yeah. Gum. Well, I love that. I love that chalky gum. I mean, it's terrible, but it's great. It was like, you know, it's part of my childhood, your childhood. I didn't put it in the spokes of my bicycle wheels or anything, but I did scale the cards. Did you do that? We, you know, closest to the wall. And then if you got a leaner or whatever it was, I don't remember the exact rules, but you know, it's is synonymous with childhood to me. I was more of a uh, occasional card in the spokes guy, but uh, no, didn't do the scaling. But it is. It's a relationship that many collectors, many fans have had for over 70 years. They associate tops with MLB in particular. But uh, that seems to be on the outs, eh? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, as of last week, and, and we're years out still, but the news was that tops is not renewing, or the, it's, well, the, the leagues, I should say, the leagues mostly. MLB, the MLB Players Association, the NFL Players Association, the NBA, and the NBPA are not going to renew their deals with Tops and Panini. They are going in another direction with Michael Rubin and Fanatics starting a card company uh, several years from now. Uh, and just it seemed to take everybody by surprise, especially 
the folks at Tops, including Michael Eisner, who was set to take the company public via SPAC. The timing of this is really is really everything. And uh, Top seems to be the only people who were unaware of this, claiming they were not informed. They didn't have a chance to make a counteroffer, uh, but the ship has already sailed. And so when the deal ends at the end of 2025, this new Fanatics vehicle will come on and it seems to be part of that company's ambitions to uh, reach out into many facets of memorabilia and sports entertainment business. So it's just uh, one and another step for the Fanatics expansion. Yeah, I mean, what Michael Rubin is building, and I'm going to go to The Fugitive, the movie. Do you remember the scene where, and I don't remember who says it, but it's one of my favorite movies, where he says, you know, that company is a monster, talking about Devlin McGregor, the pharmaceutical company. What was the drug? Do you remember the drug? Big points. If you can come up with the drug on instant recall, um, oh, darn, it's it's like on the tip of my tongue. You really put Uh, me on the spot here, Bob. Well, I'm doing it to me, too, because I wish I could remember it. Laprexa, Laprexa. Oh, we're going to get so many tweets. Plavix. Plavix. Boom. Yes, it's Plavix. I think that's it. And he just says, "Ah, that company's a monster. So, I mean, fanatics, I think e-commerce first. But it's clear with the recent hirings, um, Matt King from FanDuel, um, Tucker Kane from from the Dodgers, it's clear that Michael Rubin has his eyes on many other things, whether it's live rights and streaming, sports betting, e-commerce, now collectibles. The easiest way I think I can sum this up, Matt, and you let me know if this makes sense, because I I think it's the most succinct thing of what he's doing, that if I am a sports fan and I touch it, no matter what it is, Michael Rubin is putting fanatics at the center of it, no matter what it is. And now we're adding collectibles to that. Yeah, it seems to be the play here. And just as all the action is off the field. Uh, it's more than just hats and jerseys and shirts. Now, as you mentioned, I mean, there, there's potential for broadcast rights. Um, all the other Fanatics products, they're going to have a piece of every little bit of transaction uh, across the wire. But th- this deal is far from closed yet. And I think we had a really good piece out today from our own Mike McCann, kind of looking at, at Top's potential courses of action here and what they might be up to. But for all intents and purposes, uh, Fanatics has this lined up to go into action as, at the end of 2025. Uh, but it may not be over yet, so we'll see what's to come this week. But let's look at it for a moment from the other side. Let's look at it from the MLB, MLBPA. I mean, let's focus on baseball because so many people equate tops in the baseball cards. By the way, you sent me something very interesting. Was it Friday or Saturday? The agreement you signed. Let's give a little. Let's give the folks a little a glimpse into the the Matt Bach history, the athletic prowess that is. What what was it exactly that you sent over? Yeah, I signed away my rights for to tops for five dollars. Was it five? Like, it's five dollars. So that's why I had the check. I never cashed it. So uh, some of our listeners may not know I had a brief and uh, non illustrious professional baseball career, but during spring training they would bring a crate of tops contracts to all the minor leaguers. And for $5, you get a $5 check from tops and it, it guarantees your rights to be on a baseball card there. So they collect those. And then on the reprints, you get paid depending on the number of prints and distribution, et cetera, et cetera. But the primary rights, they scoop up on the beginning. And so this was not part of the MLBPA because minor leaguers are not covered by the, the, 
Baseball Players Association. Ooh, However, that's a show in its own. That's a show in its own, in its own right. Exactly. And um, now, I mean, those those rights may be up for individual negotiation. It, it's kind of a lot to be seen there. But early on, uh, Tops does an excellent job of catching capturing a potential. <laughs> the market and anyone who might take off there and have a valuable card. I've got an old one that's uh, probably worth two cents. I'll show you. I, 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 for five bucks, I would have taken a lifetime supply of the gum or Big League Chew or or some David Sunflower seeds and been just happy with that. But I like the fact you didn't cash it. You kept it because you, I just thought like you knew somehow, some way this would be interesting down the line. You didn't yeah. know when, you didn't know how. And then you were like, you know, Eureka, your moment happened. This I can send to somebody and it means something right now. Well, it had a tragic turn to it. I remember when I was a kid, you know, sitting around with my dad going through cards. Like, dad, is this guy a somebody or nobody? Somebody, nobody. It'd be like some young man who'd worked his entire life to get into baseball, only to have a five-year-old look at his card. Ah, that guy's a nobody. So when I did get the card, it was my Christmas present to the old man. Is this guy a somebody or nobody? Um, back into the card pile there. Did you sign it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Well, that, well, I'm glad your dad got that. But yeah. let's look at it from the other perspective. And I'll just focus on MLB and the MLBPA. And this will go for the other unions as well. That they really have, from a business perspective, from a revenue perspective, come a long way. The main function of unions when we were younger was to negotiate collective bargaining agreements. Like That was the main focus of the union. Once you had a deal, it was sort of like, all right, now what? You know, you, you took care of internal matters, fine. But unions today are really, they're like incubators. Like these are rev generators. So not only, I, uh, I would guess, are they getting a much larger payment from fanatics, they're also getting equity in the company itself, in the NUCO. So the unions, the league, they're getting equity in this new company. They're getting higher payments. The, base, the Players Association for Baseball said this thing could bring in $2 billion over 20 years. Okay, do the math. That's way more than they were collecting now. And you're seeing that from, from all the unions now. They're figuring out, remember they took their group license back, the NBA did, the NBPA did, in the most recent collective bargaining. They understood that the group license, the right to use player marks, not team marks, the team marks, if you want to use a Yankee logo, you need to deal with MLB. But if you want to deal with Aaron Judge, and I believe Panini has a deal like this, if you want to use Aaron Judge, if you want Shohei Otani, you can do that through a deal, a group license deal with the Players Association. And they understood or began to understand that there is real value here whether it's data for sports betting, whether it's the cards, the collectibles, there is much more they can do. And you just wonder, I, when, when we remake sort of the look back on this thing, I want to sit down with the executives from Panini and Tops, and if we could just slip them the truth serum, say, what happened here? How did you not see fanatics coming? What, was, it, was it ignorance? Was it arrogance? I don't know. I really don't know what it was, but they never saw it coming. And in the Securities and Exchange Commission filing with Tops when they were when they said they were going to go public, there's a whole bunch of risk factors that they put down that they have to that they have to list. Many you want to tell me where this agreement ranked and how many, you know, how many bullet points there were and where did this rank? 25. 
and the disclosure that they might be dependent upon licensing agreements and cooperations with the union and various other unions um, underpinning the value of this deal was listed at a bullet point 23, I believe. So, so it was what, there. Yeah. It was there. It just wasn't high on the list of risk factors. Uh, if positioning really means that at all, I don't know. But you just get the sense and from the reaction and the statements we've seen from the companies, minds blown. Whoa, what's happening? Caught off guard. No idea this was coming. And how dare you, right? Yeah, We've heard there was an angry phone call from Michael Eisner to the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. How dare you? What is going on here? How do I not? So uh, to say they were flat footed, uh, I, I guess there's a great you know, Harvard business case study here that you better have your head on a swivel, not just in the batter's box or playing shortstop, but uh, as partners and in the business of, of sports, you better have your head on a swivel and see what's coming up behind you. Well, and there's been a lot of that this year of just getting caught flat-footed, these institutional things. It seems to plague baseball in particular, partly because of its demographics and its history and its tradition. Uh, but the salient point that you mentioned was Tony Clark, the MLBPA executive director, said that this could generate almost $2 billion over the next 20 years. And I think that that's, that's the big change. As you said, the players' associations and unions are starting to become more direct partners, equity stuff in these deals. Uh, I think one team is a great example in all the stuff they're involved in now. And that's what's really uh, turning the tide on this one. Yeah, you know, obviously they're taking a lesson from the team themselves. You, know, you look at the teams that, let's say they have a ticketing technology or any kind of tech, rather than just pay company A and B license rights, what teams are now doing is taking equity in the products that not only that they require, but that they understand due to the popularity of sports that this will probably or they will in all likelihood have uses that escape sports so they can scale it to other places. So you own a piece of it. It grows in value because you are using it. You then scale it outside of sports and you have a very nice exit should you wish and generate more revenue. We're seeing that from the unions now. Absolutely. And speaking of scale, unless we have more to do on the top side. I, I, I do would, not mess with a segue. If you want to go on to the next topic, you know, Eben Novi Williams sometimes, you know, jumps it in there. He forces it. Yeah. yeah. His brain is going to segue as we were. I can tell when, when he's got a good one, he, his eyes light up. Your eyes did not light up. You were almost like, is it turn? Should we move? Is it now time? But that's okay. Well, it's I'm respectful of our, of our <laughs> listeners time here, Scott. And we've done a good <laughs> Go 10 for it. Give me the segue. What we, what, what's next on the list anyway? I wasn't paying attention. Well, now you've uh, derailed my train of thought. Uh, yes, it was a multifaceted uh, business application, which brings us to uh, some of our coverage this week. And I think that BSE Global Sports Ventures, um, Joe Tsai's company, owner of the Brooklyn Nets, um, several other ventures, uh, is profiled today in Sportico and is a good example of the way modern sports businesses are being run. And, and we have a really nice look done by our own Brennan Coffee digging into the Josiah empire and, and what that means for a modern sports company. Because as you know, we said with the tops thing, that baseball agreement was 70 years old and the landscape is changing rapidly. And BSE seems to be a pretty good example of that. Yeah. I would say lesson number one that, that Joe told us was have control. His first 
offer, at least the contracts that came back for him to invest in the Nets was as a limited partner. And he's like, you know, I have training in this and I, I can tell this is like me putting in 50% of the money and 1% of control. No bueno. Do you remember? I don't remember who said it. It was one of the limited partners for the Yankees. But do you remember the saying where somebody said that there's nothing more limiting than being a limited partner to George Steinbrenner? Steinbrenner. Yeah, there there you go. Uh, Well, it's almost, yes, George probably (laughs) pushed it a little bit more than, than other managing partners. But Joe's point is you better have control. So that was lesson number one. And now you look at everything that he's, in his purview, what is the investment thesis? That's what we tried to get at. What is the investment thesis? What does he see? He sees globality. He sees tech. He sees crypto. He sees sports betting. That is the atmosphere in which he's operating all of these pro sports franchises. You mentioned the Nets. He's got the Liberty. He's got a San Diego NLL team. He has got a new Las Vegas expansion team in the NLL, partners with Wayne Gretzky, Steve Nash, Dustin Johnson. He has got a stake in the Premier Lacrosse League. So, you know, he's got his eyes on the prize. And I and, and Brendan and I asked him, well, what about another league? You know, what about the NFL, the grand prize of it all? And Joe, was he was adamant. I'm focused on winning a championship with the Brooklyn Nets, which is one of the reasons why he's not even on a lot of the committees, you know, the advisory finance committee in the NBA, very powerful. That's, you know, we aspire to be there. He does not. He's on the blockchain committee. They're looking at, at, at ways that teams uh, and league-wide can benefit. But just a, a little glimpse into one of the, the top power brokers in sport found it fascinating. No, absolutely. And, and, as as you mentioned, like his technique is to take majority positions. They don't see much use in it in, in minority spots and ownership. Although he does he does have a couple of those uh, LAFC of MLS. He's got a uh, G two esports team, and Joe says that you know those are done because they make financial sense. But a lot of it um, it just kind of goes to show that that winning and having a successful organization is same as in any business. I mean that's a primary primary focus of theirs. Yeah, I, I loved when we reached out to Mark Cuban, and that was because Joe said he considered Mark like the smartest guy in the league. Um, and just the response from Mark uh, was, was great. He's like, he's a smart dude. <laughs> you know, at Joe's size, a smart, he's a smart dude. He's a, he's a good teammate. He wants to win, and he's looking for ways to better the, the entire group, the NBA as a whole. That's what the other owners are looking for. But the players are also looking at ways of uh, putting their capital to work. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, the NBA's most valuable player, led the Milwaukee Bucks to a championship. He is the latest in a string of big-name athletes to also put his money behind professional sports, only he went to baseball. Milwaukee's favorite son. He can do no wrong. Um, so, yes, this is a, a minority Wait a minute, state. wait a minute. What do you do no wrong? Did you see the video of him trying to hit the cage? Oh, good Lord, no. Oh, God. It, it's, I'm not going to say it was as bad as like Barkley's off the tee, you know, right. the, the Barkley golf stroke, but it wasn't good. <laughs> like, uh, the dude is seven feet tall. It's kind of hard to control the bat. I, I get oh, that part God. of it. Aaron Judge is six foot, what, six, seven? <laughs> he does a pretty good job controlling. I know that's not seven feet, but, you know, he's six foot seven, does a pretty good job controlling the bat. I don't want to hear height was the problem. It was just an ugly sweat. Like, I'm not even sure he has warning trap power. Possibly not, but I mean, well, then we'll just call him a terrible athlete then. 
<laughs> hardest thing to do in base uh, hardest thing to do in sports hit a baseball that's right which is why i never understood golf the ball is there on a tee and then everyone has to be silent you know for the whole thing but right uh, but we didn't get any we didn't get dollars and cents from Giannis's investment but the point is he's sort of the first uh investor in mark adonacio's ownership uh lp and what what better way to cement himself as part of the fabric of the community than to invest in the brewers, say, I'm here for a long time. I love this city. I want, I'm putting my money to work here. Oh, and by the way, you know, wink nod, uh, the part that went unsaid, it's probably, and I will no, I will never again say that the investment in professional sports teams is risk-free. After COVID and shutdowns and no fans, uh, I will never, ever say it's risk-free. What I will say is it has historically been a fantastic investment, especially from the perspective of franchise appreciation. Like I'm wondering if Giannis is like immune from capital calls. Like That's a question I, I, I don't think we saw answered. But the next time I talk to um, Mark Adonacio or, or Giannis, I'm going to find out if he's immune from capital calls. They're going to go hit him up for cash. He's certainly got it on hand if they need it. And you know, it's a good point. I mean, this is uh, the opposite side of the minority ownership debate, whereas you pay a lot for a parking spot and a seat in the in the loge. Um, we're seeing this more and more with, with modern athletes for as long as people bemoan free agency and no loyalty and going to another team. Well, here's a guy buying into his hometown uh, as part of the team there. We saw something similar with Patrick Mahomes last year doing a, an investment in the Kansas City Royals. Um, uh, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers has a small piece of the Bucks as well. So it, it's kind of a, a synergistic way for these guys to be connected to their uh, towns and teams and build goodwill and, as you mentioned, probably protect and grow their own assets in, in the process. All right, we got a couple of minutes. Speaking of growing assets, you saw the WWE was in Vegas over the weekend for SummerSlam? Like 50 yeah, plus thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, here's the, big, the interesting big event: part. Allegiant Stadium and uh, yep. had Allegiant Stadium, fancy schmancy new stadium. Right. Fans are um, back. We are ready to go. It's the new digital future. You know, get rid of that dirty COVID cash. Yeah, <laughs> I like that dirty COVID <laughs> cash. Exactly. But one of the things, one of the buzzwords we've heard, it, even pre-COVID, but has been accelerated is cashless. We mm -hmm. accelerated due to the pandemic. You don't have to hand over money. Cashless. Cashless. Only there was a bit of a problem. At the venue, when the uh, credit card machines went down, you don't say. And it's a cashless venue, so if I read the Twitter right, they started giving away hot dogs and drinks <laughs> because there was no way they could process. I, I mean, grow. This is going to happen. We see every time there's like a big event streaming. There's a problem with the stream, growing pains. I, I'm not ready to argue the idea of cashless in sports facilities is dead because we had a problem. No, and I'm not, but I'm perhaps biased on this too. I believe very much in the uh, value of cash, particularly in my neighborhood in New York City. Uh, it seems to be fast and convenient and reliable. And the one thing in all my professional and academic studies of technology is that I've learned is that it will fail you when you most need it. So you better have some practical skills or resources uh, behind it that work in an analog sense. So I also have the feeling this isn't going to deter the move to cashless uh, technology and stadiums in particular in the long term, there is too much value to be had in the consumer data 
uh, and the tracking data and, and other saleable items uh, that come out of that as opposed to having to give away some hot dogs and sodas, which they're probably not losing much on that margin when it's free anyway. I, I was at Yankee Stadium. Uh, was it over the weekend or was it last week? I can't even remember. When did he? When did? When did the little guy want to go? But yeah, I was at Yankee Stadium Thursday, and I'll tell you, the tickets were delivered via the MLB app, and then you're the, to get in if you, a little bit faster was the clear line, you know, mm. for, for health screening. And then you've got the infrared screen for the ticket on your phone. And I do worry about the time for for whatever reason, like your phone is dead or the readers don't work or the Wi-Fi goes down or, you know, for what, there's a condition where that stuff doesn't work. You're going to have, I don't know how many thousands of people outside the gates unable to get in and prove that they have tickets. Oh, I've been at an NFL football game last year where the exact same thing happened. <laughs> Cleveland. Cleveland. Mention it, but yes, that, that was the place. Do you print when you fly? Do you print your boarding pass? Always print, yes. Absolutely. If I can. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Got to have the boarding pass. That happened to me. I saw a guy who was in Hong Kong trying to get on the plane, and his phone had died, blah, blah, blah. He had no boarding pass and was left behind. Denied entry. Oh. Speaking of those, call me a lot, if you will. Well, let, let's close on this, not sports business, but I've seen a lot of stories all over the Twitter uh, about Rod Gilbert. You know, yes, Mister New York Rangers, Mr. Ranger. um, passed away um, over the weekend, and I too, I have a Rod Gilbert story that that I'll share quickly just to end this. And as everybody who listens to this show probably knows, I have a hockey playing son. Training camp starts this week. Two a days. I spend half my life between September and May in hockey rinks all over North America. But one time when my son, who's a goaltender, was about, I'm trying, seven or eight years old, okay? And we were playing outdoors at the uh, the Woolman Rink in Central Park. Gets all dressed, ready to go on the ice, and the dreaded, and you, you are not a parent, but you will you will feel this one day, the dreaded, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay. I don't know if people realize how much equipment goalie, <laughs> goalies wear and so how it's At all At a connected. certain point, you're not supposed to be involved with that step. No. But. Well, you know, it, it, when you got to go and you're wearing all that equipment, yeah, it needs a little need help. A hand. <laughs> yes, you need to. Just scurry into the bathroom there and, and hurry up to the urinal. I'm frantically trying to undo straps and buckles and this and that and Velcros and... Uh, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not focused on anything other than getting the job done before things are not good. So yes. hurry up, finish. Great. As soon as you know everything's being fixed, uh, I hear you know, young man, and I, I look over and my son looks over, and there is Rod uh, at at the next urinal. <laughs> and I swear to you, he says, uh, you know, young man. You uh, you got to take care of that before you put on the pads. <laughs> <laughs> Montreal's so, finest. Yeah, yes. yeah. So that that is my Rod Gilbert. I, I had had many discussions with him over the years, but that is the one that sticks out. So any Rod Gilbert stories from you, Matt Buck? Slightly before my time, you may find that hard to believe, uh, but no, no. I mean, I knew of him didn't have the good fortune of meeting him personally, much less in a restroom at a urinal. Uh, but is he will be missed. He's, uh, he's still first in Rangers all-time goals and points list 
and I uh, was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1982. I there you go. Hey, there. young man, uh, you got to take care of that uh, before you put on the pads. We'll leave it at oui, that. Oui. Yeah. <laughs> he is Matt Bach. What are you, M. Bach? What, M. Bach on the Twitter? No, I'm Matt Bach. I have Matt Bach. squatted I on like... that thing a long time ago. So I, 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 I don't even look at it anymore. It's, tweets. it's automatic. I know he's, uh, you know, at Novi underscore Williams. I know because I hate the underscore, but all right. At I Matt no underscores here. I am at Matt Bach. Simple. I am Scott Soshnick at Soshnick on the Twitter. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network.